Bibles with you tonight, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin our series through 1 Corinthians here in, I guess, in two weeks. But one last time here, let's let's look to this text. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, our conceptions of holiness, godliness, right? These are usually, not always, but often, I think, characterized by our self-righteousness rather than by our justification. Uh, therefore, we tend to become hard-hearted towards unbelievers. We tend to become angry with them and see them purely as enemies. And we can't wait for God to pull back the curtain and make them pay, right? You'll see one day, that sort of thing. The question is whether or not that is the way of our Lord Jesus. It is true, undeniable, that this world in its current form is going to be dissolved, right? It will burn, and God will end this creation in order to bring about the new heavens and the new earth that Christ will bring down from heaven. But what sort of people ought we to be in light of the fact of this coming disillusion of all things? And why does our attitude towards unbelievers in particular have so much to do with the biblical answer to that question? In light of the coming disillusion of this present world, we are called to extend the merciful patience of God to those who have yet to turn to Him in faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before You and before Your Word, Lord, asking that You would humble us, that we would listen. God, help us to understand. Help me to speak clearly and to preach the text so that we might do that. Lord, I pray that You would soften our hearts as we look to You and all that You are and have done for us. And I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in light of this passage. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3, verses. let me start in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter is addressing the concern that had risen apparently in the minds of his hearers regarding the second coming of the Lord and this time that was passing without it happening. 
He addresses the scoffers that question His coming. After all, it's been so long. And time is passing like it always has since the days of their fathers. And this Jesus isn't returning. He's not keeping His word. And there's something to those accusations in one sense because it has been a very long time since Jesus ascended back to the Father. And relative to the events, if you were them and it's been 30, 40, 50 years, not quite that long, you would also think that's a very long time. They were already thinking, He's not coming back. This delay since He left has been too long. Thousands of years have passed now. We're way further removed from the events they're referring to than they were. And not only is time passing, but the world is getting worse. People are getting worse. Evil is increasing. Peter even addressed this back in 1 Peter 4, where we were last week, that people increasingly are living to serve their own desires. For those who still live in the flesh under the reign of King Sin, that is those who are scoffers here of His Word because they follow their own sinful desires here in verse 3, rather than those who live by the Spirit where the Gospel is testifying of the truth to us, it looks very much like the Word of Jesus means nothing. And that's precisely what's at issue here in Second Peter 3. Those that follow their own desires question the Word of the Lord. Right, Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. When there is no faith in the Word of the Lord, there is an increasing pull towards the flesh, which is why sin increases. So, where does Peter take the minds of the people to whom he's writing? Does he try to give them something new and innovative? No, he returns to the Word of God that God has already spoken. He reminds them of the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior given through the apostles in verse 2. He seeks to stir up their sincere minds by way of reminder. It's always that. Reminding us of what is true. He says later in verses 5-7 to that those who follow their own sinful desires and so question the Word of God are deliberately overlooking, choosing to ignore and disregard certain facts. That the same God who created the world, that He then destroyed with water in the great flood, recreated a new world that He is also going to destroy, this time by fire. God kept His Word in the past. He will keep it in the future. There's a day of judgment coming. And the destruction of the ungodly will be a part of it. So the Christian says, okay, Lord, when is it? When will it come? And it's not that we necessarily want everyone to die and face judgment, although sometimes we do wish that certain people would certainly, but we do long for relief also. We want this evil to end. We want the new heavens and the new earth to come, which is what he tells us is coming and we are waiting for in verse 13. But how long will the Lord tarry? How much time has to pass? How much evil has to be committed before he will return? When will the Lord fulfill his promise? Peter doesn't give an answer. He simply takes us back to the facts. Right Here is what we can know. And that's where the believer's assurance comes from in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not a slave of time. He is not bound to time or ordered by it like His creation is. God is not passing the dates on the calendar like we are. That's not how 
he's counting down, if you will, to the return of his son. God isn't even in those categories or bound by these numbers and dates. He doesn't need to be tied down to it. He's on no schedule but his own. He answers to no demands but his own. For us, it's been however many thousands of years or thousands of years waiting, right? Not for him. Right? God isn't even, again, even, he's not in that category. He's not waiting. He's moving at the pace at which he's always moved. According to the exact same plan. The one plan that he has always had for creation. That all things would be summed up and fulfilled in his son. God isn't going slow. That's the point here. God isn't delaying. It feels like that to those of us who are bound by time. For with whom one year is one year and a thousand years, or one day is one day and a thousand years is a thousand years. And two thousand is two thousand. But that's not Him. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. That's not what is happening. Right? It's not, it's going slow to you and me. It's not going slow to Him. God is not moving slowly. God is on track doing exactly what He wants to do. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What you and I count as slowness, what we experience as time goes on as slowness and delay, God considers His own patience towards us. Whether that means you know, when you write a letter, he's talking to the Christians there and the members of this congregation, whether that's the us here or long, uh, long suffering or patient towards you, or if he means the whole world, it's the same principle. God is not moving slowly as you and I would count slowness. God considers this, again, what we experience as a delay, as the demonstration of his patience, the evidence of God's Patience. It's not a reason to doubt His Word. right? It, it's a reason to bank on His promises all the more and believe that God is exactly who He's revealed Himself to be. That's what all this time is about. It's not slowness. right? It's not God being slow to fulfill His promise. It's God showing you, I am who I am. And I am patient with rebels. He is the Lord. He made all things. He sustains and upholds all things. He's patient because He wants people to reach repentance. To turn to Him and be saved. Now, when we hear that, right? when when a person hears that God is patient, we can respond in one of two ways. Who knows when it will be? So I'm going to live how I want. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll settle my business with God at some point in the future. But he's, he's patient. He's delaying. and So I'll do what I want to do. That's what those who question His Word are actually doing. That that's, that's what They're using His patience as a way to criticize Him for delaying to cover up the fact that they want to keep on sinning and doing what they want. They don't care that He hasn't returned. Right? That they don't have a theological issue like that. Like it, it should have happened. They don't want to face him. They, they don't want him to return. But it does give them a convenient cover to pretend the reason they reject repentance is because God isn't trustworthy. 
That's, that's what you'll hear. That's the argument you'll hear. That's where questions like, well, if God is all-powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? And why does He allow suffering? And Beloved, that's a cover. It's a legitimate question. And the Bible does have a kind of answer for us. But here's what's going on. I don't want to give an account to this God. I don't want to be under His rule. So they're not rejecting repentance because God isn't trustworthy or because God moves slowly as they consider it. They reject repentance because they love their own desires. The Bible always goes straight to the heart of the matter. When they consider the delay of His impending judgment, they say, well, who can believe the Word of God anyway? Eat, drink, be merry, do what you will. He's not coming. Right? Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That is going to happen. It will happen. Exactly like it says. In other words, why would you treat the patience of the Lord lightly? Right? As though because He hasn't come yet, He isn't coming at all. Like every other promise He has made, the day of the Lord will come. What God says will be, will be. And that day will come like a thief. So whenever the day of the Lord arrives, mankind will be in a certain state of thinking. It will arrive for those who scoffed at it like a thief arrives unexpectedly when you're not ready in the middle of the night. No matter where we are in time, that's what the day of the Lord will be like when Christ returns and wraps everything up. That's what it will be like. It will hit them completely unawares. They will be completely unprepared. The patience of the Lord should be treated as what it is. A gift of mercy from the one who will end this present world in judgment. The world as it is right now will be burned up and dissolved. And the works of those who live in the flesh will be exposed, the Bible says. All things will be exposed. That brings us in to verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter argues from the sense of God's holy word. We, you and I, are locked under time, are locked in time under the sun. We are not sovereign. We are not omniscient. We do not know when the day will come. But we do know the day will come. Peter doesn't even entertain the possibility of God's promise not coming true. Of Jesus not returning. Of the day of the Lord, the day of God as he calls it here, not happening. That's not even in the cards since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since the Word of God is certain and sure, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Those who live in the flesh say, since the day of God will come in the future, but it's not here yet, I'll live how I want. Those who live in the Spirit say, since the day of God will come in the future, we will live lives of holiness and godliness. It's all a matter of how we receive the gift of God's patience and the promise of His Word. Peter says that as His people, we live for Him. 
in light of the disillusion of all things. All these things are passing away. Look at the recurrence here of that word dissolution and dissolved in the last section of this text. He wants it in our heads that that's what is going to happen. The question is not about the end. The question is about now. Since that is sure, who are you going to be? Those that reject His Word and spurn His patience, they will live for themselves. Those that receive the gift of His patience and have faith in His Word will live for Him. Holiness and godliness here are not the believer's efforts to make themselves righteous for God. That's not how they're working here. They are the way of life for those who have received His mercy, benefited from His patience as their own. Because God is so patient and merciful and loves people and desires they would reach repentance and be saved, we live lives in according with His character that shine the light on this God as worthy of all honor and praise. It's very important for us to realize that the rationale for living in holiness and godliness is because the Word of God is true. And soon this world and everything in it will be dissolved. That's not normally the category that we put holiness and godliness in. Here, the whole point is you live like that because everything's going to be dissolved. And it's not a threat here. Do you notice that? The believer's not being threatened here. The believer has nothing to worry about in judgment. This is speaking to children of God. Who are we? What would we live like since all this is going away and Christ has been judged for us? We won't be judged for our sin. We won't, our works won't be exposed in the same way. So what sort of people should we be in light of God's great patience and mercy that we've directly benefited from? We live lives of holiness and godliness by faith in the promise, by believing the promise. We don't live by the flesh. That's how the world lives. That was last week, right? People that live in the flesh will serve themselves, no matter what they say they believe about God. If they live in the flesh, they'll serve themselves. People that live in the Spirit will serve God, no matter what is happening around them, no matter what's going to happen in the future. To live for God is to live a life of faith in His patience and mercy. It is not living a life that will get us noticed by others for our goodness. It's a life that Peter already said back in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 17, will get us noticed by others for our hope. Right? We, we tend to make that verse, be ready at all times to give a defense as like an apologetics verse. So we would use that to say, see, it's, it's okay to go on college campuses and have apologetics arguments and defend the faith, and that is fine. No, no issue with that. That's not what I'm saying. But what does that text, what is that text saying? It's not talking about arguing the truth of Scripture with people that don't believe it. It's not a defense. You're defending something about you in that text. And what you're defending is that you have hope when the world around us is crumbling and falling. That's specifically the kind of holiness and godliness that he's picked up on here in Second Peter. He deliberately refers them back to his first letter, doesn't he? I've already written to you once. I want that in your head when I tell you this. Here, being at, living a life that makes you defend your hope is a life of holiness and godliness. Right? We don't really think in these terms. Right? We should be a people that are being asked and challenged by the world, why do you have so much hope? Look, look around you. Are you aloof? Are you not realistic? Do you not see? Where do you get your hope from? 
Right? The, that's the life of holiness and godliness that He has called us to. There's hope there. There's otherworldly hope there. Well, why, why would you have hope in a world like this one? Exactly. Because this is going to happen. Because God is going to keep His promise. Evil will not last forever. It will be exposed. It will be terminated. We will look like people who are so sure God is going to keep His Word that we need to cling to nothing in this world. We won't depend on this world for anything. We know it's going to be dissolved, but we're okay with this. Part of our holiness and godliness is an otherworldly hope that keeps us from being so anxious about the decay of this one. We don't join them in that. We don't join them saying, the sky is falling. It's so bad. Everything's so awful. We don't join them in that. We have hope that transcends that. For according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells in verse 13. We aren't expecting anything out of this world. That's one of the key components of biblical Christianity. We expect nothing from this world or the people in it. Nothing. Our holiness and godliness are the result of His promise to us working. They are not like in a vacuum, some unique contribution of goodness that we're making to God's work. Our holiness and godliness are reflections of what we are. We, we, we live this way because of our identity, because of God's promise. We are people of faith, but there's something else here that we need to see. Go back, if you would, to verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Waiting for, yes, we understand that. We do that. But hastening the coming of the day of God? What does that mean? Hastening it, making it come more quickly? We can do that? Apparently so. Apparently so. Hastening the coming of the day of God means that God has graciously given us the opportunity to make this day come more quickly. What would be displays of holiness and godliness from the people who are on earth to represent a God who is this patient? Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end, the day of God, also promised here, will come, Matthew 24, 14. Now, we often live like we will get closer somehow to the coming of the final day if we can figure out when it's going to get here. We tend to live like God has somehow hidden a code in Scripture that if you can crack it, if you have enough charts and tables you can figure it out. You can roughly estimate when the Lord is going to return. And so you, you can, the more that you focus on that, you can inadvertently put yourself on autopilot as though that's what godliness and holiness are, is just figuring out everything that you can and being up on all those things. And that, be, if you'll notice, people that focus on prophecy get consumed by it. It becomes their whole life as Christians. Right? It's very strange. What does Jesus say would hasten the day of His coming? 
What does His Word tell us to do if we want it to come more quickly? Right? And do I think that means that God will change His timetable? No. But how we experience this delay, it does affect. Right? God is not saying, I plan on coming back on this day, but if you all live holy and godly enough, I'll come back on this day. No. Beloved, the closer we are to Him, the more quickly it will seem He comes for us. It's not a matter of earning your salvation, of making God, of twisting His arm to do anything by our merit. He's saying, I'm coming. I'm going to keep this promise. Do you want the time to pass more quickly as you experience it? Go tell people about my patience and mercy and make that your life. Make the godliness and holiness that you saw in my son, make that your life. Nobody ever says, at least I've never heard anybody say, I want to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, so I'm going to become a missionary to unreached peoples that haven't heard the gospel yet. You'd never hear people say that. Normally we're talking about things related to time, dates, hours. I I worked with a buddy, still a friend of mine, at at, uh, a bookstore in Newark, a Christian bookstore. This is 1993 to 95, right? A buddy of mine named Roger. And we were always, I don't know why we wasted our time. We were always going back and forth on the end times. And he was a Pentecostal guy. He was always trying to get me to speak in tongues. And we were just different guys, but we're good buddies. And his whole reasoning was... For, for prophecy and just, he, he said, listen, Jesus said you won't know the day or the hour. He doesn't say you can't know the year. And so he, he wanted to identify the year when Christ would return. That's the, those were the kind of games he was playing with the text. Notice what the text is telling you here. Don't, God is not going slow as you would count slowness. God is not even in those categories. God is just being patient. That's all this delay is about. It's just Him being patient. Now, if our God is like that, a God that is coming to judge and in the world as it is, so He's very holy, very serious about sin and wrath, why not do it today? Don't you want to get rid of these horrible, evil people? And God would say, I will. Right now, though, I'm being patient. And I want you to be like me. That's the right attitude. What sort of people ought you to be if your God is so patient with sinners? You see? Right? What is, what is your attitude towards those that will not repent when God the Holy One is so patient with them? How do we become impatient with them? Just as holiness and godliness have nothing to do with our own contribution to our standing before God, they also have nothing to do with how much we can figure out about the timing of the last day. Holy and godly lives are the result of trusting the promise and believing the word of the Lord and basking in His merciful patience. When God wants to transform us, He pulls us nearer to the view of His Son. That's 2 Corinthians 3. Right? How, are, how are you and I transformed 
How do we move from one degree of glory to another? By beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. By looking away from ourselves. Not by evaluating ourselves. Looking away from ourselves to Christ for us in 2 Corinthians 4 in the gospel. We don't live how we are called to because we know when the day of the Lord will come. And all these things will be dissolved. We live how we are called to because we know that the day of the Lord will come because God keeps His promises. But right now, He's being patient. God is being patient and waiting to dissolve the world and all the evil and all the evil people in it. He's being patient. What would holiness and godliness require if that's the case? What would they look like, so to speak? We need to believe that the delay in His return is not a delay. It's not a delay. It's a demonstration of God's patience towards sinners. If God who is holy is patient for their sakes, what does it mean to live lives of holiness and godliness towards sinners? It means you and I must learn how to be patient with them. Right? Holiness is Christ-likeness. That would be the best tangible demonstration of the holiness of God, the person of Christ. How patient was Jesus with sinners? How patient was He with the Pharisees and the scribes? Sometimes it seems like we can't wait for the Lord to dissolve this old creation and all the sinners along with it. But is that the current attitude of the Holy One towards sinners? It's, it's, it's not talk, you're not talking about ignoring the fact that God will judge. That's in the details here. But that day is not here yet, which means as of 7.10 on Sunday night, November 26th, God's major, major posture towards the world is pure patience. Pure patience. See, He's not rushed. Neither should you and I be. He's not, pre he's, he's not looking at the world saying, if we don't do something, they're going to overrun everything. They are going to overrun everything. God's still coming back in the person of His Son. Every... Everything's going to be dissolved. This will wrap up in judgment. God's got it. He can afford to be patient because He's pulling all the strings and the levers. You and I, if we are holy and godly, will live with that same perspective. And so often for us, again, living lives of holiness and godliness are, are way too individualistic and personal. Right? We just focus on ourselves when we hear be holy and be godly. We focus on ourselves. How can I be more godly? We're never asking in that, what attitude should I have towards sinners? So it's usually about personal morality, piety, written code type stuff. That's what we default to. That's what Jesus said this morning in Luke 5. No one, after he has tasted old wine, wants the new stuff. So we, we have to recognize how we default to fleshly understandings and old way of law understandings of holiness and godliness. You are declared that in Christ already. This is a calling to live in light of who you are already, not to become something. 
those who are in Christ, who have the promise, they are godly and holy. That, that, that's what he's saying. And, and beloved, the more, the, the, the more tightly we cling to the word with, with the help of God's grace, the more we, uh, the closer we draw to Christ, it won't feel like a delay anymore. It won't feel like a slog anymore. We'll be doing the work while it's light. Right? The, the day of His coming will hasten to us. We'll be moving closer to Him in that sense all the time. We have been made perfectly righteous before God for all eternity by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ for us. Our good works do nothing to improve our standing before Him. That's not what they're for. If our attitude toward our good works is in that old way we talked about this morning, we'll become as disgusted with tax collectors and sinners as the Pharisees were. And when we see Christians trying to move towards them, we'll whisper to one another, why are they, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing over there? Well, hopefully we're living like all this is going to be dissolved. And we're hastening the day of his coming as we understand it. Again, think of how Jesus redefines the purpose of fasting in that text in Luke 5. Like how, e- how much do we really want Him to return? How much do we miss Him? How much do we long to be with Him? That's what fasting is about now. Now that we're in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. See how He defines holiness and godliness in light of the fact that all that has been granted to you as a gift? We, we need a whole new perspective on our works. We want to be holy and godly like Jesus was. And that came out also in the way He went after lost sheep. There's a, there, there's a certain... Again, the world would count irresponsible. You don't leave 99 sheep in a field to go find one that's out on the cliffs. You don't do that. It's irresponsible. As the world counts irresponsibility... Not if you're that lost sheep, it isn't irresponsible. And Jesus, I can't wait. I love Luke 15. It might be my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's like, I'm going to get my sheep. And beloved, we, we let us have this same, that was the most, that was the only perfect man that ever lived. And just, he just had this impulse. Why? Because he was banking on God to keep his word. Our holiness and godliness need to come out in our patience with those who have yet to repent and be turned to God. That's living in light of disillusion. Living in the patience of God for two reasons. Because we know the day of the Lord will come and God will keep His promise. And because we know that time that passes is because God is being patient towards sinners. And desires they would reach repentance. Let us look to the promise. Right? Let the beauty of His patience wash over us once again. Do you and I even realize how patient God has been with us? How patient He's being right now. I was talking to my buddy today. I haven't talked to him on the phone in a long time. He's a pastor friend of mine. His church didn't make it through COVID. He runs some, owns some restaurants now. He's doing great. His family's doing great. But we talk and he just, he just keeps being merciful. 
God, you and I, we're just, we're just up and down, up and down, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and He just keeps being patient. Right? He's, he's just patient. That's His nature. God doesn't need to go through trials to learn patience. He is patience. Right? He, all that He has said He will be for you, He is that for you. And He's not going to throw you out of the house because you can't get it right. If He is patient with those who are not yet His children, how patient do you think He is with you who are? Whose ticket is punched you are going home. It is finished. Right? He's, he's just so patient. Let these be the things that we seek to let transform our lives. Don't look inward at you. Look to the one who is patient. Look to the one who is merciful. Look to him. Who knows how differently time would pass, how differently our days would seem, if our major concern was to bask in the patience of God for us, so much so that it turned us outward, away from ourselves, away from bean counting, away from the abacus, and just towards others. Imagine it. The Master would come and find you working. Right? Let us look to the promise. Let the beauty of His patience watch over us once again. He loves us. God loves people. This is the way it is. He is merciful to us. Amen. Amen.